0: Lord, thank you for paying it all, paying everything you had, coming to be one of us, to suffer the every difficulty and trial that we have suffered, and to be tortured, murdered, killed, to pay our debt. We owed more than we could pay, and you paid what you didn't owe so that we could be free, so that we could be restored to relationship with you and so much more. Lord, help us to live in freedom and restoration. Lord, we want to stand on your word and hear from you now. Speak to us, Lord, so that we might live in more freedom and more restoration. Amen. 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 So we're continuing our series on everyone's favorite book, <coughs> Leviticus, and uh, this is part of our our theme for the year of living justice. So living just and right is our theme for the year. You uh, and I I want us to just do a review of. What we have seen, to, uh, I'm, we're trying to take the kind of the big view of Leviticus, not stopping in every uh, verse. But uh, so we're going to show a video, the, the um, Bible Project video, another Bible Project video. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people; they've really enjoyed these. So I, I thought I'd show you one more. Now, a while back, I gave you a, um, uh, a map of Leviticus. I think there's still a few back on the back table. If you didn't get that in your bulletin when you're, if you weren't here, the Sunday we did that, this is explaining that map, and you can always download the video or the map from from Bible Projects online. So let's watch this as a reminder of where we've been, where we're going. Okay. Great. So so if you, most of you got that when we handed it out, and uh, if you didn't, it's on the back table. Uh, that was mostly review for stuff we've already covered. We talked about the uh, the sacrifices the five different kinds of sacrifice. We talked about the priests and what it means to be a a kingdom of priests and a a holy nation, ourselves, and how the priests fit into that. We we talked last time about ritual purity and even about uh, how we could understand those food laws and other things. And um, so now we're heading over into this section about moral purity, chapter 18 to 20, and also one of the feasts up here, one of the... The things that they did about the Sabbath year, the sabbatical year, the year of jubilee, and so that's that's where we're headed in this. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question. So our, our theme for the day is holy justice in all relationships, or holy just. If you put a W on top of that, the little word play. Are we? How can we be holy just? in all of our relationships, in all of the, um, the ways that we relate to creation, to each other, to God. Um, so, and those are the scriptures we're going to be looking at. Um, so we have a just culture. We said that at Mount Sinai, God has called Abraham. He's del- then his people, he delivered them from Egypt. He showed them his provision, his protection, brought them to Mount Sinai. He's given them this... Law. these instructions. Again, all of the five books are about the instructions about how to be this holy priesthood nation, this kingdom. And we said that because God had rescued them and they had agreed to be in covenant with him, he was able to tell them, okay, here's how we're going to do this. And they had those instructions. If you haven't made that agreement, that's this isn't necessarily for you, but this is for those of us who want to follow that. And it is in every relationship. It's in a relationship with God. And it's in our relationship with other people in society. And it's in our relationship with creation and the environment and what, what God has made. And what what you'll see as you go through 18 to 20, it's a little bit tricky to preach on because those go back and forth between each other. Now, when he's talking about sex, and then he's talking about uh, sacrifices, and then he's talking about foreigners, and then he's, he's going back and forth between them because they are of a piece living in Moral purity or injustice in righteousness impacts all of our relationships. And we tend to, as we mentioned, the star of justice, the five different aspects of justice, we tend to focus on one. And then we tend to not, we, we, we get really excited about that one. And uh, then we forget the other one. In fact, we accuse other people of being focused on a different one. of They don't get it. And they say we're we're overemphasizing another one, right? So so some people are are focused on um, family values, for example. And they criticize people who are focused on social justice. People focused on social justice say people are focused on family values they don't get it. And what about economics? And what about and we we criticize we each take a piece. Or people say, oh, those criminals should be punished. Those people should. That's all part of it. But how do we get it all together? The way God did in His Constitution, the way He did for His people. So we're going to look at that. I have a question for you, though. God gave so God controls. Wait a 2nd We You've got to back up here. I had a question. This question. Um, Skip that question. I wanted to to ask you this question. Um, Think about that for a minute. You do. God wants to know. We're going to read God's mail to you. So you can answer this question. But for now, answer it before you read your mail. What things that I possess belong to me, to God, to my family, to foreigners? Um, what about my my money, my time, my body, my um, possessions, my relationships? Which of those things belong to who? Think about it for a minute, then I want to I should turn to somebody and because isn't this part of the reality of how we're trying to figure out I mean, what belongs to my boss and what belongs to my wife and what belongs to my kids and what, wh- where's my time and uh, my stuff, right? So let's talk about that. Give you a couple minutes to talk about that. Find somebody. If you're not uh, sitting by somebody, find somebody. Move around. Okay, move around. Don't just do the sideways glance like, I could move over there, but uh, should I? Okay, I'm sure you answered it by now. Easy question, right? In practicality, it's not a very easy question, is it? When we get down to our calendars and our checkbooks and uh, other things, it's not so easy to figure out. How do we live in justice and righteousness in all of those relationships. So, um, one of the things that Leviticus says is that God gave. So, God controls. He controls your body. It says God made your body. And then, it says He redeemed their bodies. He got brought them out of slavery. So, He says, your body belongs to me. And He goes into a lot of detail in chapter in Leviticus chapter 18, and then half of chapter 20, about sexuality, and what you can do with your body, and who you can give your body to. And he also talks about what the community, how the community impacts that. So keep in mind that people were living as extended families. So there's a lot of things in here about incest and and, uh, adultery. And the fact is, if I have an improper relationship with somebody in the extended family, my my aunt or my child or, or somebody else that's that messes up this close family right because now we got envy and stuff going on if I if I have sex with my neighbor now we got a divided loyalty and now now things are all messed so it's not just that my body I get to decide what to do with it Now that's that's the way our, our society talks about it that it's it's mine. It's up to me what I do with it. We're an individualistic society for the most part. Um, that's not so much the case, some other places. We'll talk some more about that. But um, my time. It's my time, right? But God says, no, I have this structure for your time. You're going to work six days. You're going to rest the seventh day. You're going to take these annual feasts. The first Monday, or the first of the month, the new moon, you're going to do this. And God structures their time and says, "Here's how you can do it." If you remember that you were slaves, you had no time, and now I bought you, so I get your time. And He's also guarding them to, uh, you know, what? You could slip right back into slavery, or some of you could slip into slavery to other people. So everybody's got to rest. Even the servant, even the donkey's got to rest. And the foreigner and everybody else has to take a rest. And everybody else has got, everybody's else got to work six days. Nobody gets to uh, sit easy and other people do the work for them. Um, your harvest. Your harvest belongs to God. God gave it. God controls it. Your capital. The things that you use to create that harvest. Now, there's different kinds of capital. For them, it was an agricultural society. It was especially the land. And there's a lot of talk about the land. We, we've been hearing about the land for a long time, haven't we? God promised it to Abraham, and then he promised that, he, and they were, Then they were kicked were out of it in Egypt, but then God promised he was going to bring them back to that land. And we're still on the way to that land. And where's this land coming anyways? Um, we're, we're on the way, on this journey to the land. But there's other kinds of cap, capital. We talk about human capital, which includes your education, your skills, your energy, your your hours. Um, social, relational capital. You have people who you have influence with, that you could ask them to borrow something, or you could you could loan it to them. Or you, that's relationship capital. There is financial capital. That's obvious. There's other kinds of capital. Jesus talks about spiritual capital. Sometimes Jesus says we should invest certain kinds of capital for other kinds of capital. Remember one guy had saved up all of his money, and he was like, all right, I've got, I'm going to bring some, build some more barns, because I got lots of capital. So, Sit easy. you got plenty of good retirement. And Jesus says, you fool. Today you're going to die, and all that's what's going to happen to that. You could have shared it with the poor around you, but you didn't. You could have invested it in spiritual capital, in relational capital. He talks about you should do what gives friends. So when you're welcomed into eternal dwellings by friends. He talks about investing financial capital for relational and spiritual capital, for example. Now, all of those capitals, God gave us. In fact, it says, if you say, you know, I earned this, I did this, it says, who gave you the energy to do that? Who gave you the help? The life, the time, the skills. Didn't I? Um, so God gave, so God controls. So justice in all the relationships. In this book, we talked about sexual, with family, and with my people. It talks about with foreigners, too. How do we... He says, love them, but don't follow their ways. The beginning and end of chapter 18, it says, don't be like the Canaanites. Just like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, don't follow the practices of this world. Um, don't follow the culture. With God. For example, how do I find out hidden things? There's a bunch of things in here about not going to the Mganga, as we would say in Swahili, the diviner, the traditional healer, to find out, to some other source, to find out what you should do. Now, we don't have any of those, do we? Um, yeah, we do. Uh, we may not put them in those categories. Some of us do have in our in our cultures um, Waganga and other other traditional healers and voodoo and other things that, that we go to. But we also have other places that we look for sources of direction. Maybe it's the economic indicators. Um, but somehow we are looking for direction other than God. Some sometimes. So. Um, let me talk about family and land. So I, in order to understand this, we need to get a picture of what Israelite society was like. So they you were lived in your father's household, like all living generations. Now, I have a clearer picture of this now after being in Tanzania and Kenya for 20 years. Um, people there really, they live together. Generally, you build a house near your father's and you, you have the same land that you, you decide how you're g- going to work it. And you live in an extended family. Um, your wife comes into your family, and, and all the sons live in that area, in Tanzania traditionally, um, that's the way it is. Now there's a competing, the government says they own all the property and you only get a lease. But um, so, but in in Israel, everybody got their fathers, and then beyond that, the father's household, the extended family was the clan, which had many of these, and then the tribe. And it would be similar in, in Tanzania, in this case the tribe is Judah which is one of the sons of Israel now Israel was all the sons of Jacob right now metaphorically if not actual bloodline because remember that there were others who left Egypt with the Israelites so it's not really a genetic or ethnic thing completely because there's other people who've joined themselves to Israel Um, but the family is the basis of this now In the church, we find out that Israel is extended to include Gentile followers of Yahweh and Jesus. So it's still Israel, but it's big Israel that's included others that are grafted in. So Leviticus 19 says this, and and Jesus summarizes all these different laws, a lot of them about how to take care of the marginalized people and so forth. He says, he summarizes it with this out of Leviticus 19. Somebody asked him, "What? how would you summarize the law? What's the most important law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And from here, love your neighbor as yourself. That says, I am the Lord. You must obey all my decrees. Oh, the dot, dot, dot was supposed to be after 19 there. So later in the chapter, it says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. So it's interesting that where Jesus draws the, or where the law draws the boundaries, and where Jesus draws the boundaries. You remember this guy came to Jesus and said, Jesus said, you know, you're supposed to, he asked him, what would be the law? And he says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, yeah, that's right, do it. And the guy realizes, ooh, doing that is hard. So he says, Um, escape clause. Who's my neighbor? Um, The nice guy with a house down the street? Um, Or would it be broader than that? Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who was the most despised person for this being a good neighbor. But Jesus was actually just applying what the law said. The law said foreigners, you should love foreigners as yourself. Now most of us have a hard time even Well, Ephesians 5 says, I should love my wife as my own body. I should love her as myself. I'll be honest, that's hard for me to do. Just that. Just my wife, and she's a really good person. She's easy to love. But there's other people who are harder to love. And he's saying I should love all my neighbors as myself, and even those people, the foreigners, them. I'm supposed to love all of those people? Now, he's stretching us a little bit. Now, I'm doing a quick tour of 18 to 20, okay? I'm not going to dwell there because I want to get to talk about Leviticus 25. Now, that's you have a Bible in front of you. And uh, it's on page 89 of the Bible in front of you if you didn't bring your own. So let's look at Leviticus 25. It's also repeated in in Deuteronomy 15. You remember that in Deuteronomy 15, 4, we talked about how that was quoted in Acts. And it said that they did this thing so that there was no poor among them. Do you remember that? Remember, that story? remember we talked about Acts a month ago? And we said that the intent of the law was that there would be no poor among them. No one would be hungry. No one would not have enough. And in Israel's time they did this with a sabbatical and some other laws that we're looking at in the New Testament they did it with sharing meals and they had a daily shared meal and then they had some issues with people some people not getting fed and they, they dealt with those it wasn't all pretty but the ideal was being met of no poor among them now it's interesting a little later in that passage in Deuteronomy it says the poor you'll always have with you so be open handed now, a lot of people take Jesus quoting that from Deuteronomy, the poor you'll always have among with you, to say, oh, Jesus said we always have poor, we don't have to do anything about them. No, 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 no. Jesus was quoting this passage about how we should have no poor among us, but there will be issues, so be sure to be open-handed with those who are poor among you. That's what Jesus was saying. He was given permission to for worship as well, but... Um, In any case, that's Deuteronomy 15. We're going to look at um, the Sabbath year. So two themes here, freedom and restoration. It's about liberty and restoration. So let's read it. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land, I'm going to give you. The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your unintended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, yourself, your manservant, maidservant, and all the hired workers and temporary residents who live among you as well as your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. So already, even in years, they had six years, and then they had a Sabbath year. And you know that they're thinking, "Uh, what am I going to eat if I don't plant anything? If I don't harvest anything, I just kind of collect what, grows of itself. are we going to be hungry? And he promises that if they are faithful to this, it will produce more in the sixth year they'll have enough to carry over. Just like with the manna, they collected more on the last of the six days so that they could rest on the seventh day. And it rotted if they collected too much. It, it rots if we do too much collecting, too. Um, but, I mean, this... I can see the economists going, no, 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 that's not going to work. How are we going to grow the economy if you all take a rest for a whole year? But notice that this is in all relationships. So the relationship with the land is such that even the land gets to rest and be restored and have new nutrition in it again so that it's ready to produce crops. Um, Why does God get to do that? Because he is giving them the land. Right? So um, I mentioned this the other day, but I thought I'd bring Monopoly. How many have played Monopoly or know what Monopoly is? How many have not played Monopoly or know what Monopoly is? Oh, wow, this is great. In in Africa, it doesn't work so well. People haven't necessarily played Monopoly. Even though there's a Kenyan version, Um, so um, you don't have to run up and get the money. It's just fake. So, um, so in Monopoly, you have money, and you get to use your money to buy. Yeah, sure. Hold that for me. I tried to figure out if I should have a mirror or do something with this, but that'll work. Um, And you get to, uh, if you buy a place, if you get enough of the place, then you get to put a house on it, right? If you're really rich, you get to put a hotel on it. And of course, you want to do that so you can do what? Soak the people who come by, right? So you can have a monopoly. And uh, then hopefully, you can get all the money. And all the properties, and they can all go home, right? And you can be left with all this paper and plastic, and your friends can be mad at you, all right? So that's right. That's how it goes. Um, so, so what? What? Come on up here. You think we need maybe even up here? All right. So the uh, let's see. Let's put. Uh, But go right there. That's what we like to look at. All right. right. So, um, So God promises that he's going to give them the promised land. But he gives the Canaanites 400 years to get things right. And they don't. They get things worse and worse. And we know in terms of idolatry, in terms of sexual sins, in terms of all kinds of things, they get it wrong. One of the ways they get it wrong is the way they use the land that God has given them. God says this is His land, and what happens is the king owns everything, and everybody else is just serfs, landless. He just he just soaks up the taxes and the and the production in the in the Canaanite society. So that's that's the way it works. So the king has the kings of these Canaanite city states. They just have lots of property. One person, the king owns it. Everybody else is stuck. Right? God gets so fed up with the way they're doing, he gives them 400 years of grace, but then what does he do? He comes in and he wipes the board, and he says, okay, I'm giving it to the Israelites. How does he give it to them? Does he give it to their king? No. He says, each extended family, well, first of all, each tribe, and then within that, each clan, and then within that, each extended family, is going to have an amount of, Based on how many people are in their clan. So that that means like Judah's gonna have more, because there's more people in Judah, there's more people in Ephraim, and uh, but you know, the smaller tribes are gonna have smaller portions. So the really boring part of Joshua, uh, you know, first part of Joshua is exciting, right? Battles, and they get to wipe the board. The second part is really boring, unless you're a Kenyan. Because in Kenya, people love land and people care about which tribe gets the Rift Valley. It's a big deal. Um, so if you're careful in watching how they're doing this, the fact that they distribute this evenly between the different tribes, between the different clans, between the diff- so that it's evenly distributed like everybody has a house. And everybody has a field. And everybody has enough capital, a field that they can eat. They can eat well as God blesses them with rain, they can eat well, and everybody can eat well. Now, what happens if somebody has a bad year? For whatever reason. Now, we can have all kinds of debates about, well, were they lazy, or did they have a bad health crisis, or what was the real issue? But something happens. They get poor. So let's, let's read what happens. Um Verse eight: Count off seven sabbaths of time, seven times seven years, so that the seven sabbaths of forty-nine of of years amounts to a period of forty-nine years. They have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. Consecrate the fifteenth year and proclaim liberty, proclaim freedom throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee that's named after the trumpet blast of God doing some. Each one of you is to return to be restored to his family property, and each to his own clan. So you get to go back to your people, to your family, and to your family land. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself, or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee, and is to be holy for you, set apart. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. So this is... 49, it seems like a Sabbath year and then an extra Sabbath year. Or Some people debate, well, maybe it was 49 days and the end of the 49th one or whatever, but it seems like another year of Sabbath. And then it says, in this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property, to be restored to his own property. So um, let's see, back up here. So 14 says, if you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy any from him, do not... Take advantage of each other. Well, th- no, that's not the way monopoly is usually played. Usually, the whole point is to take advantage of each other. But it says, do not. You are to buy from your countrymen on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And he is to sell you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. When the years are fewer, you are to decrease the price. Because what he is really selling you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am Yahweh, your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not harvest or plant crops? Plant or harvest. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and tenants your renters on my land throughout the country what you hold as a possession you must provide Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption, the buying back, of the land. So, here's the deal: uh, well, uh, we can. Um, they're not to take advantage of each other. In fact, you can't really sell land. You're only selling the harvests of the land, so the price of land decreases. If it's 40 years till the jubilee, the price is higher. If it's 30 years of the Jubilee, the price is lower. 10 years before, the land is cheaper. So the price of land, unlike St. Paul, keeps decreasing and becomes less and less valuable because what you're really buying is just those harvests. And it's going to go back. We're going to go around here. If you want to count it years, we're going to go around here 50 times. And then... We're going to pass, go, and everybody goes back to what they got when the cards were dealt. The cards were dealt evenly. Everybody goes back home to their family, to their clan, and is restored. So whatever has happened, once a generation, you get to start over. Now, for the people who did well in that turn, that can be hard. I'm doing well. I was just about to win. Now you want me to give it back? What's the point of this game anyways? The point of the game is there would be no poor among you. So how do they do that? Um, well, let's read on. Uh, let me let me give you the, the basics. Um, Maybe we won't read the whole thing. Let's look at verse 35. Several times it says, if one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would a temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. So that's the goal of the game. Make sure nobody goes off the board. Make sure he can continue to live among you. Do not take interest of any kind from him, but fear your God, so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. You must not lend him money at interest or sell him food at a profit. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So you get the connection? I am Yahweh. I graciously released you from slavery. I gave you this land. So give the land. Give freedom like I did your fellow countrymen because your life came from me your freedom came from me your land came from me so do like I did and give it back give it away restore them to a place Um, so the first thing that happens you got it right The, the guy has no money to pay his bills so what do you do you give him a loan Here, buy some seeds so you can plant again. And you don't get interest. Now, this is not the same as a business venture that we have. I I think it's okay to collect money from the US government. They're using it. They got some. They can give us interest. Okay? You want to start a business? I might give you some invest with you and, and hope that it'll have a return, that there'll be the stocks will increase because your business goes does well. Or maybe you want to borrow money from me so that your business can expand. I think it's okay to lend you money and you pay me some interest while you use my money to expand your business. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about one of us is behind on their mortgage. They're going to lose their house. One of us is hungry. How are we going to help them out so that they don't fall off the board? That's where we're not. Oh, this is my chance. You're down and out. Let me charge you 15%. Now oh, that would be the credit card company doing that. Not not 15%. Probably 18 or 20. Um, so somebody's down and out. We're helping them out without interest because they're needy. You get the, you get the, what I'm saying? You lend to your poor brother without interest because he needs it. He's got he's got to plant his corn so he can eat. And if you just add interest to that, that's not going to help him really get through it. Right? You got me? Um, okay. So, again, if any of your countrymen becomes poor among you, now it's getting worse. And sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. Wait a second, he sold himself to you, so didn't you make him work as a slave? So here's, he's gotten so in debt that he's lost his land. He, he, he's got his land He's got himself, and it's gotten so bad that he's had to sell his land. Now he's selling himself, his labor, to you. But you're not to enslave him. You really, he is to be treated as a hired worker. This is verse 40. Or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released, and he will go back to his clan, and to the property, and to his forefathers. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, They must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. Um, Okay, Uh, the point is that each step along the way, there are ways to help out your brothers and sisters. They're, They're not making ends meet. They need some groceries this week. They can't make it to payday. Give them a loan. No interest, so they can make it. Now they got real trouble. Well, hire them. And and yeah, so in order to pay that debt, they've got to hire themselves out. Maybe even until seven years or or the jubilee year. Hire them and their and their kids and and yeah, they'll work for you. But don't treat them treat them like a a good employee. Um, So do not charge interest or make a profit as expense. We just read this. Notice, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land to give you the land and be your God, your slaves who belong to me. So, did the Israelites do this? We don't actually know. Because it never says one way or the other. It also doesn't say if they did the Day of Atonement. It doesn't say one way or the other. We, We assume they did. We know, though, that it didn't go so well later. Solomon did not obey Deuteronomy 17. So Deuteronomy is very specific that the king even can't do what everybody did. Kings were always about lots of wealth, lots of women, lots of weapons. And he said, don't do that. No diplomatic power with lots of women from all the other kings. No military power, no economic power. You should be one of the Israelites. You should read the law. You're you're a, a servant to bring justice under God. But Solomon didn't do that. He liked building stuff. He liked new treaties and new women and new weapons and new wealth. And he messed it up. And then the prophets get on the Israelites as things go along. Do you remember Ahab? Do you remember Ahab said, You know, I like that field over there. And his wife, who was not an Israelite, was like, Well, take it. You're the king. And he goes to Naboth. He says, Can I buy your field? He says, this is my family property. I can't sell it to you. God gave it to our family. I can't sell it to you. So he comes back, and his wife says, what? You just do some things in the court, falsely accuse him, kill him, take the land. That's how it works when you're king. That's not how it works when God's king. And so he gets judged, and uh, Elijah is there to judge him for that. So, and, and Amos, or was it Amos? Uh, one of the prophets talks about you guys are adding field to field until you're all alone in the land. You keep, and, and so archaeologically we can see that, you know, the fields were getting bigger and then, you know, on the other side of the tracks they were getting smaller and smaller. Um, or maybe they just put the freeway through and Rondo just disappeared. Or whatever happened. Um, the... Uh, Things happened that made some people lose out and some people gain more. And you know what God did? He kept warning them. He kept promising them idolatry, oppression of the poor. He finally said, you know what? This looks as bad or worse than I remember it before. And he did what? Wiped them out. Go off, cool your heels in Assyria and Babylon. See if you can get it right. Then he restores them back to the land. Um, later, Jesus comes along, let, okay. Um, who's in? We talked about this last time. Um, all the people are in. Let me, I'm going to go on. Family growth and the ANFC, we were talking about marriage, multiply, mature, manifest love and mission. Don't have time to explain those. We talked about those on a retreat. But basically the point is, if we're going to do that among ourselves, just as Bethel Christian Fellowship, is that easy? What if we're going to do it just among the eight congregations that are us in the All Nations Family Churches, people who are new immigrants and people who have some some? Uh, is that easy to really make sure nobody drops out? Now we're doing it. We're giving coats. We're giving rides. We're giving we're we're doing some things to to bring justice, and that's great. But it honestly, as we're sitting there. Making our plans for the All Nations family churches and all the things we can do. And I'm and we're talking about, well, who's going to lead this? Um I'm thinking, what about you know, where am I going to find time for that? Where are we going to find money for that? How are we going to do that? Honestly, when it gets right down to the reality, it's not so easy, is it? To really be family to really sure. So Luke, Jesus comes along and he states what his mission is. And he quotes from Isaiah who is promising, you know what? The Jubilee is going to happen. He he's in Nazareth, his hometown where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He went there every week and they gave him the scroll. He as he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place. He wanted to read this Promise from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Did I not? I think that fell off the slide. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. I.e., what year is that? The year of Jubilee, the year when slaves are freed, when things are restored, when property is restored. And you know what? They got all excited. Hallelujah. The Romans have been oppressing us. You know, they just burned down Sepphoris right over here just when you were a kid. You remember that? This is great. Um, He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Wow! He's going to restore it. Um, the story goes on. And I don't think I have time to finish it, but he uh, they get upset when they find out that it's not just people from Nazareth that are included. Not even just Israelites, but those people are going to have to be included. So Jesus fulfills it. Jesus fulfills what happens here. He brings freedom and release in every sense, in every relationship. He brings justice in every relationship. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, so is he a capitalist? Is he a communist? You see he what, what's he's starting to starting to mess with things now. Um, that's not the question. The question is, is Yahweh a capitalist? Is Yahweh a communist? Is Jesus a communist? Is he a capitalist? Now, the communists claim Jesus, and the capitalists claim Jesus. Everybody claims Jesus, because they think he's a nice guy. But when you really get him in the car, he kind of messes with where it goes. Um, And the fact is that Jesus is not actually for any of those monopolies. So capitalism tends to this thing where somebody gets all the properties and charges everybody, and That person gets to sit far off someplace in a walled, cool place, right? And other people get to sit on the street. That's where capitalism can go by itself. Communism, though, is just the state gets to have the monopoly. And the state owns everything, right? That's not what Jesus is after either. What God intended was that every extended family would have what they need And we have other kinds of capital we mentioned. They'd have what they need in terms of land, food, education, health. They'd have what they need so that they could sustain themselves. And he created a people to help each other out so that that would happen. He wants us to stay free. He wants us to stay able to do what we can do. Now, I know... It's tricky. We're talking about money, even savings and houses and capital. I mean, you know, a couple bucks in the offering, that's one thing, but don't touch my capital, right? I'm as uncomfortable as you are. No, I'm much more uncomfortable because I'm the one up here talking while you're all looking at me going, what's he saying? You help me figure it out not just up here, but in our hands, and our feet, in our wallets. How do we do this? How do we live as a people? And I think if we could just do it as us, we'd be doing great. Let's start with this congregation. Can we do that in this congregation? I, there was a congregation in Blaine. I was talking to my mentor. He said, you know, we were there, a little 120 congregation and And a bunch of people worked at this place, mainframe computer manufacturer, and they had good jobs and they were doing well. And then they went and the door was closed. All 400 employees were laid off. They were out. And the elders said, You know what? We can't let that happen. We can't let them lose their houses. So they committed to making sure that they didn't get behind on their mortgages, that they had groceries, and that they got retrained. That was just a congregation being God's people, trying to help each other out. And, you know, we help each other out too, right? Some of you have gotten jobs from somebody else here who were, tipped you off to that and gave you this and gave you a car and did this and that, right? We do that. And then as we get a little more comfortable, we stretch it out to our all-nations family churches and the, the eight congregations, and, and maybe we want to get some other people involved. And then, you know, I got I got people that are my people in Tanzania. And so they, they write me and say, you know, our kids need school fees. And I'm like, yeah, well, God's blessed my kids with school fees, so what do I do about that? Um, so I, I send them, you know, I usually send them some money. Send them $1,000 this year for their kids' school fees because, you know, and they've done well. The kids are doing well. So how do we help each other? to make sure no one falls behind. In fact, that we get ahead, that we have good seed to plant. I don't know. But I think if we put our heads together with our different skills and our different ways of doing things, we can figure it out. And remember, the intention is that there be no poor among them, that nobody's poor, nobody's homeless among us. Now, if we really get to that, if we really stretch it out, that's 2 billion people in the world. A third of the world is Christians. If we could get to doing that, now, of course, we're not responsible for all 2 billion. Right? Start with your family. Make sure that things are going good. And then your extended family. Now, and remember that your, your Christ bloodline should have some priority, right? Do good to those, everyone, especially those that are in the household of faith, as we're able, right? Isn't that what Scripture says? So, we help each other out, and then we, we help us out. So, you know what? I got some contacts, some friends in Tanzania that I can help out. I don't have contacts in Haiti too much, but I got some brothers and sisters who are trying to help out and figure out what to do in Haiti. You know what? Haiti needs justice as we pray. How does that happen? Well, praying is one way. Nigeria needs justice. We're praying for the elections there. We, we need justice to happen and if it happened among us as Christians, that would be amazing. We'd be manifesting something pretty amazing. So start where you're at and take one more step. I don't expect you to solve Nigeria's problems. Even the Nigerians don't know how to do that, but they're working on it. Right? 195 million people in Nigeria. Um, and half of them make less than $2 a day. It's not easy to figure out those kind of problems. but Don't get overwhelmed. Work with the Nigerians in our congregation. And maybe they need some help with some people back home. You get what I'm saying? Let's help each other out and find restoration and freedom. Now, there is a spiritual aspect to this. There is both a, a practical way to this, and there's also a promise. So it's fulfilled in Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus' family, the church. And in his second coming to a new and restored earth, Jesus is actually going to get it done. And justice is going to be done. And the last are going to be first. Some of the first are going to be last. And Jesus says, now is when we should be investing in them." Right? You want a nice house? Just for now? Or you want a nice house for eternity? That's kind of what Jesus says, Right? You can get in like somebody who escaped through the flames and and lost everything because you invested it all here. But we're moving. We're moving to that new earth. You might as well send your money ahead. You might as well send your time, your body. The other things God's given you to steward for now by helping each other out. And, uh, okay, let's pray. It's getting too uncomfortable. Um, Not that prayer is comfortable. Could the worship team come up? And let's, let's sing break every chain. So these are complicated issues, difficult things. I don't know how to do it. But there's some principles here. And you know what? God found different ways to do it. He had a way to do it in that agricultural society. He had a way to do it with the Israelite society. He had a way to do it when Nehemiah got upset with people who were charging too much interest to their poor brothers. He has a way to do it now here. And I could give you more examples. I've seen it happening. I've seen it happening in Tanzania. I've seen it happening lots of places. Let's, uh, of course, the question is are you ready to be part of the army that's breaking chains, the family that's breaking chains? It's costly, but it's got benefits. Here's the thing amounts to do I trust God to take care of me? Can I trust God to give that bountiful harvest? Or do I have to do it all myself? And can I trust my brothers and sisters to be part of that? And that when I invest in them, God will make sure I get it, whether I get it from them or some other way. God does it in some amazing ways. And i got lots of stories myself personally of how God's done it. let's stand up. Let's sing this and uh... let's believe it there's a lot of a lot of things we could talk about issues in our society issues among us as Christians but it starts with committing ourselves to God first of all by recognizing His grace that everything we have is from His from Him and that He's got the power to change what we want to see change because let me just say this a lot of us go around complaining there's a lot of problems in the world. And we say, why doesn't God do something about it? You know what? God did something about it. He gave everything He had. He created the church. The church is His answer. So He's saying, why don't you do something about it? I already showed you how to do it. Just follow me. And I'll bless you, and I'll break the chains. Do you trust Him? This Law didn't work without the Spirit making it happen. Jesus, you came and you fulfilled it. You modeled it. You gave yourself. You gave us all. And then you sent your Spirit to enable us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We know we can't do it by ourselves, but Jesus, you are able to break every chain, to free us, to release us, to give us freedom to restore, and to help us to be part of that restoration. And you want to bless us abundantly as we follow you in that. You said if we seek your kingdom first, we seek your justice first, you will give us everything we need. We trust you. We have seen you do that. And we trust you to do it even more. So Lord, make us that community. That family, as Bethel Christian Fellowship, as the All Nations Family of Churches, as an extended family of Christians, in our own families, help us to do that. We pray because only you can do that in us. We need justice. We need righteousness. And we can't make it happen. But you can. You broke the chains. You freed the slaves. Free us from all that binds us, and help us to be agents of freedom and restoration. Restore to us all that's been lost, we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.